Welcome to the River Rain Show. I'm your host, Catherine Allen, clairvoyant medium and astrologer. Tonight, we will share great music, movie clips, short stories, or quotes, all on our theme of this week. So grab yourself a tea, get yourself comfy and warm, sit back and be soothed by the music, the inspiration, and the introspection. Welcome to the River Rain Show. It's just an old stretch of highway from Prince Rupert to Prince George But it's been laid with more than asphalt It's ingrained with something more It's been paved by years of heartache, lost hope and blood and fear And they call it Highway 16 The Highway of Tears You can hear their haunting whispers as the wind blows through the pines And you can feel the mournful shivers as they tremble down your spine Doesn't anybody listen? Doesn't anybody hear? The voices of the lost girls on the highway of tears Can't you hear the eagle crying? And his tears, they fall like rain For the souls of missing women And for the misery and pain 
And he'll keep them safely guarded Till the storm clouds disappear Until then he watches over On that highway of tears All we're left with are the faces On the posters with their names And for some that's more than others Just the mystery remains And we're left here without closure And broken hearts as souvenirs And the memories left riding On that highway of tears And can't you hear the eagle crying And his tears they fall like rain For the souls of missing women and for the misery and pain And he'll keep them safely guarded Till the storm clouds disappear Until then he watches over On that highway of tears Oh, she's a mother, she's a daughter She's a sister and a wife No answers, no reasons not even a goodbye Can't you hear the eagle crying And his tears they fall like rain For the souls of missing women For the misery and pain And he'll keep them safely guarded Till the storm clouds disappear until then he watches over On that highway of tears It's just an old stretch of highway From Prince Rupert to Prince George Hi there, good evening to the River Rain Show. I apologize for starting so late tonight. Uh, my computer completely was freezing on me and um, I also didn't realize till I opened up my uh, file for the show that I had uh, saved all of the songs in the videos, not on the MP3s. And so I was stuck converting all of the songs as well to be prepared. So thank you for being patient if you're out there listening. And um, and also, you know, I can just blame the planets if I want because I'm an astrologer. But uh, <laughs> we still have good old Mercury retrograde um, in Pisces until the 10th. So we have daylight savings coming up on the 8th this week. A little more daylight's going to really be nice. Um... And we have also the full moon in Virgo coming up on the 9th. And, um, you know, a full moon in Virgo, while Mercury's still not officially direct, could be a little uh, dicey. But overall, this, this Mercury retrograde hasn't been too bad. It's made me 
if anything, it's for me, it's activated more uh, insight and actual dreaming and sleeping um, deeper than usual and a desire to be more creative. Um, so it hasn't been so bad. I mean, a little bit of computer glitches and stuff, but not as bad on my end as some other ones have been. And I've been hearing that from others as well. They feel a little dreamy, but not so much like a terrible Mercury retrograde. But tonight I just felt it with, with the computer completely freezing. So I'm sorry for being late. So tonight we have a really special interview. For me it's really special, and I hope for you it's going to be special as well, because I'm interviewing my friend uh, Mike Retasket, who I met maybe, uh, we think 2003, could be 2002, um, and he is a former chief of the Bonaparte Indian Band in BC, and so he's done his share of uh, activism and educating people on uh, First Nations issues or, you know, um, hydro, logging, oil, you name it. So Mike is with us and he's going to talk about the issues, all kinds of issues surrounding the Wet'suwet'en um, territory pipeline. Uh, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it a crisis, but um, he's going to go into more of the, the history, uh, what this is really about, and there's a, a strong connection with uh, the Highway of Tears, and that's why I played that opening song called Lost Girls um, by Travis Pickering. So we're going to hear a little bit of music, of course, uh, tonight, and I made sure that all of the artists on the show this evening are Indigenous. Some are... Uh, some are Mohawk, some are Mi'kmaq, some are from other nations around, but I wanted to, to honor honor them as best I can tonight. Um, I'm not going to say too much tonight uh, of my own opinions. The, the interview should speak for itself with that. And I wanted to read, um, there's a nice poem that I found and there's also um, an informative article that I found about something that comes up in the interview, this connection to the Highway of Tears. So, you know, tonight if you're listening, I'm hoping that you'll think about all of these things on a much deeper level as to what's going on. There's an awful lot of frustration and an awful lot of backlash and racist, nasty comments and cartoons and stuff that have been posted, which is normal in one way when people are frustrated. But when you see any kind of continuation of, you know, hate speech or violence when, when um, people are just asking really to stand up and be heard, uh, I find it quite sad. And uh, there's many, many, many people on the planet that feel um, unheard and who experience uh, re-victimization regularly when they're not heard, when they stand up. So it takes an awful lot for people to stand up, um, no matter what the, the issue is, or um, no matter where you're from, if you're not part of that uh, corporate 1%, then 
um, chances are you've also had to stand up in your life and you've you understand also and can relate when you've tried and tried and tried and tried in all the nice ways all the peaceful ways all the legal ways to get yourself heard and people are still not hearing you how you would feel so I hope you'll approach tonight's show or these issues on a human level like this and understand where people are coming from on that and not make this about race so that's my little two cents uh, I want to play you a beautiful opening song this is a cover tune of a Beatles tune by a Mi'kmaq girl and her woman and her name is Emma Stevens so enjoy Blackbird beautiful to hear uh, cover songs in uh, different styles, different languages. I really like that. So um, I neglected to sort of open my show like normal with my uh, announcements, but there aren't really too many, but um, I wanted to just say that I had a wonderful book signing, uh, which happened Sunday, uh, sorry, Saturday, leap year, at uh, Chapters Indigo downtown Montreal, and um I wanted to just share a little bit of that because, you know, it's a new experience for me. It's my first book. And um, learning how this whole world of books and book signings and promoting um, publishing, how, how the whole industry works is interesting. And uh, each time I've gone out to a book signing, I'm, I'm really happy to say that I've had a few people that I've, that I've known for years and hadn't seen in ages come out. Uh, to, to say hello and each time I had somebody who literally came out of the woodwork somebody who said oh I've been following your newsletters for years and it's somebody I either hadn't seen in 10 years or I'd never even met them and they come out to, to say hello and and let me know that uh, they appreciate what I'm doing and so it's very very rewarding um, I also had a, a great chats with people who came up to me and uh, they were in the middle of buying other books you know and wanted to discuss something else that they were reading and um, some other people wanted to dialogue you know where's the role of intuition within psychology within the field of healing um, I, and at one point I had a few guys standing around the table all waiting to talk and I that made me happy too because um, you know, there's there's a rising um, demographic of guys coming out, or maybe openly, uh, about their spiritual path. And I don't want that to sound bad in any way, but honestly, when I used to go to these Hay House conferences, I went to one in New York about four years ago, there were 3,000 people in the, in the room. And uh, Louise Hay herself said, now I want all the men in the room to stand up, please. And there were like eight out of 3,000. Um, and so everyone had a good chuckle, you know, that there weren't that many men. When I went uh, a couple of years ago again in Toronto, there were far more men. And it made me really happy that there was a, there were, there was a wave of men that were coming over to talk to me all day. 
um, and have like engaging conversations. It was really nice. And, you know, I connected. Some people were there from out of town. They gave me the names of other cool bookshops in their town. And so for me, my next step is going to be thinking about where, where to do book signings, where there are fun atmospheres, um, besides the, the indigo chapters, which I'll stick with as well. But to find some of these offbeat places would be really great. And so if you are in Ontario or um, perhaps even Vermont, um, I'm handy to, <laughs> to both of those, and I would like to set up something. So if you're listening, you can always message me if you know of a really great bookstore. Otherwise, um, we've just begun the month of March, and spring is upon us, where we're all feeling itchy for spring if, it, if it's not already arrived. Today here in Montreal, it's just the most treacherous weather we ever get. We had um, our five or six foot drifts of snow have uh, melted and uh, it's raining on top of it. So we have puddles of rain on top of ice slicks. So I literally had to take a taxi home for what would be normally a 10 minute walk because it was just that dangerous to fall. Anyway, it'll all pass, <laughs> but it's just, I'm, I'm very cagey for spring this year. I, yeah, I just can't wait to get outside, open the windows, walk freely. I, I really, really need that just to feel this, uh, a little bit of momentum to get other things, other things done. Uh, this month though, I'm, I am back to teaching stuff. Um, I've had more people asking about courses for tarot so if you're interested in that you can message me river-rain.com is my website or you can reach you can look for my name Catherine Allen at patreon.com subscribe I'm offering a bunch of stuff on on patreon if you like readings and you like to get little reports and extended versions of of my readings every week and stuff that I give um, but I'm going to be working with another local spiritual center, which is called Spirita, and it's in St. Anne de Bellevue, where I am, and uh, it's a girl, uh, a woman that I know, who's a friend who opened her center, and um, so we're pretty excited that we're going to be tag-teaming some workshops. I'm going to start to give some intuition training courses. Um this is something different or it'll be done in a very different way than I ever have. I'm really excited to start that. And I'm going to also give a sound bath. So I'm bringing all my sound bowls and chimes and meditation. So that's just a nice, relaxing, soothing thing to do still in March. Otherwise, um, we'll continue with the show. Now, I already, in my recording of the reading, set up the interview, so I'm just going to let that speak for itself. So, without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Mike Retasket. Oh man, and now the file doesn't want to play. This, okay, this is... Okay, one second. I will find a way to play this thing. All right. Uh, Sorry about that. 
Okay, we're going to listen to the interview with, with Mike Retasket now. So we're here today with a very special guest. It's a, a friend of mine going back to, we think maybe 2003, named Mike Retasket. And um, Mike's one of my favorite people <laughs> because um, he may not know how much he affected people when he came out to Concordia University all the way from BC to do, um, sort of a week of activist workshops under Concordia's summer program or School of Community and Public Affairs. And it was a really special time when every, a lot of activists from all over the country were coming and converging and talking and giving workshops. And Mike, oh, I'll probably cry even saying it now. Anyway, <laughs> I hadn't had an experience like this ever. And Mike stood there before the whole lecture hall at Concordia. And he just said, I'd like to thank the Mohawk for the land that we're on right now. And I just started crying. 
I, I didn't really understand why that was so powerful at the time. And now I do, I'm a lot more, you know, experienced, but it just hit me in the heart that somebody was acknowledging these people and something that was bigger than, than just, it's hard to say what you'd call that, but in the English French debate, you know, that it's all just about that sitting there in Quebec. And so I had to take his storytelling class. And I'll also never forget that. I've told people about it before too. We sat there and he would smudge us in to the circle and then he talked about a tree. I don't know if you remember this. Anyway, you talked about a tree that was important to you. And for about two or three hours, everyone was talking about trees that meant something in their lives. And it was really just a beautiful experience. And he's also just been really sweet to me in private too. Nice things you've said along the way. Um, it's your wisdom. And Mike's, you know, Mike's a guy who walks his talk. He's a former chief of the Bonaparte Nation in BC and now works for an Indigenous Tour Tourism Board. And um, he does ceremonial dance and he's a pipe carrier and he does storytelling circle. And But he's also a guy who used to, uh, you know, block the roads if necessary. <laughs> so I really uh, have a lot of respect you know, for, for you. So I'm so glad you're here with us. So welcome, Mike. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. It's always good to cross paths from time to time with you. And and I see some of the, the great work that you're doing as well, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really um, touching to see that, you know, the, the care that you uh, share with the people as well. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks, thanks. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into this hot uh, current topic that I think is gonna be the story of the year, the story of the summer, um, is the Wet'suwet'en um, uh, pipeline blockades, and um, I think it would be probably helpful if we asked you just what what where you're at with it. In, in yourself at this point, you know, how are you feeling about it? What, what's making you the most passionate in this debate? What's making you angry? I don't know what gives you peace or is there anything gives you hope about, you know, I'd love to just hear from your perspective. Yeah, it's something that's really interesting to me about what is going on um, in the Wet'suwet'en territory. Um, do I have a voice and what they're doing? No. Um, do you know it's um, uh, the protocols between our nations and, and it's just like uh, acknowledging the Mohawk that time and I was following protocol yeah. and um, and so those protocols between our nations go back 807 generations wow you know just that just gives you an idea how long that we've been here yeah. including the Wet'suwet'en, and um, um, let alone did they, uh, did they win one of the uh, landmark uh, ruling in Delgamuk, which was the Gitsan and the Wet'suwet'en. You know, they, they proved title exists. They proved in the court of law. Um, seven Supreme Court judges ruled unanimously that title exists and cannot be extinguished. Mm -hmm. And you know, they fought long and hard for that. Um, 
and and really all, all of the rest of Canada benefited from that lifelong work that they've done in the Supreme Court of Canada. But uh, for for me, that work belongs to them. You know, I can't I can't uh, and I would never lay claim to um, to to that to that work. Mm -hmm. And so the work that's going on now with it, Wet'suwet'en, that belongs to them. What is happening in the rest of Canada and the support that they're receiving, you know, um, it's laid out in the court in the court ruling in the Supreme Court of Canada. It, it, all of the words that we need are there, uh, including in the rule of law. In the rule of law, you know, it shows that um, they have a right to choose to which uses their land can be put. You know, that's right in uh, paragraph 163 of the uh, Delgamo uh, decision. And, mm -hmm. and um, yes, man, I, the government keeps focusing on that phrase, the rule of law, the rule of law. So it's confusing. Um, that made me that made me happy when they said that. That means the rule oh, of law okay. in Delgamo applies. Uh, the rule of law in Haida applies. The rule of law in the Taku River Tinglet court decision, Supreme Court ruling applies. And the rule of law in the Williams case, the Chilkutin decision, it also applies. Do you, is, okay, so is that what Trudeau is referring to when he keeps you know, saying the, the rule of law? Or is he in his mind, no. I didn't think so. No. <laughs> like, this is where it just, I don't know, it gets confusing as to, well, who's, whose law supersedes whose here then? Mm -hmm. If the Supreme Court says you have the right to choose what happens on your land, then why does the RCMP have the right to come in and take people off the road so they can build a, it, it doesn't, makes sense who i don't know it, it sort it's, of feels, go ahead sorry historically um it dates back to um august 25th 1910 um it was my great grandfather mm -hmm. on my father's side tai james retasket who delivered um uh to sir wilford laurier the sir wilford laurier memorial which was signed in 1910 um, by the chiefs of the Courtauld, the Okanagan, the Stadlium, the Shushwap, the Carrier, all of these nations signed the Sir Wilfred Laurier Memorial. And within the Sir Wilfred Laurier Memorial, one of the sentences in there is, there seems to be one law for the rich, one law for the poor, mm -hmm. and yet another law for the Indian. And that's the rule of law that we're talking about. So there are three, um, three different <laughs> rules of law there that um, haven't gone away since 1910. Yeah, wow. So we've been fighting since then, you know. And yeah. um, our elders, you know, they didn't fight for, for our title and our rights, you know, for, for us to be uh, sitting around all day doing drugs and playing video games you know there was a reason they yeah. did what they did and, and all of us have to get out of that kind of mentality you know that's that's exactly what the government want us to do you know is to do the drugs and play the games and just turn our brains to mush you know yeah. they get really afraid of when we speak and 
we are coherent about what we're talking about and yes. they're really afraid of that yes and how quickly uh this was organized and how how widespread this shutdown is if you choose for it to be i mean with the trains it just makes it glaringly obvious you know how i mean that's just from my westerner perspective right i don't have friends that i hear on the ground in in let's say Kanawagi, what might have been coming so i'm just going by how fast this seemed to be from a from my perspective hearing it on on the news just how how quick this was organized and how powerfully this was organized is, is um, something that sort of like they're always sort of how much planning if you will or, or goes into a this kind of blockade or is it more a spontaneous kind of right yeah. up to me, it's, it's more ad hoc than that. Okay, yeah. There's, there was really, as far as I know, you know, not much coordination between what is taking place in Saskatoon mm -hmm. and what is taking place in Ottawa and, and other places that, that um, um, these um, roadblocks or the train blockages are, um, are beginning to get more and more. It's just... Um, it is like, um, you know, with the ruling of our title and our rights, mm -hmm. it's, easy, it's so easy to brush that aside. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, we can just put that aside. And so the, the, the issue of title and rights, which has simply gone unaddressed uh, for many, many decades and centuries now, um, it's almost like there's a ghost in the room. Yeah. And the ghost is title, and the ghost are our rights. And yes. every once in a while, the ghost raises its head, and and then yeah. that's what we see happening because um, that's that's one of the only ways that we can really, um, um, I guess, take a stand. You know, and it's too bad because of that. Um, people go out on the front lines and risk their personal freedom, and yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. uh, risk being criminalized and even jailed. Yeah, you know, it happened in Delgamuk. It happened in Oka. It happened in um, um, Wounded Knee. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. just sad the way that it's unfolding like that. It are never. You worried, are you worried it's going to be? Uh, this is what we're in for over the next while. It's I already happening. You know, the, yeah. the arrests are happening, and people yeah. are being. Um, find and, and and court appearances and yeah. if they don't show that then they're in deeper trouble and you know it's it's not easy to to make it to court you know a lot a lot of times it's winter time still here and um, even traveling or some people don't have a car they've got to hitchhike to court and that and it's just I don't know it's just it's really uh, sad right it's another way they try to get you you couldn't get mm -hmm. to court on time yeah oh wow yeah one thing that really struck me you know just like i was saying that moment that you acknowledged the mohawk all those years ago when i when i was listening to the news it was last week somebody said reconciliation is dead oh yeah it is dead that hit me like a punch in the chest too but i it felt it just felt very true it felt mm -hmm. like a, a relief in a way that someone said it because mm -hmm. um 
you know, I think we've talked about this so many times, maybe in our workshops at, at Concordia, but it can be difficult when you're on my end of the, you know, where I'm a white woman and I was not aware of the privilege I grew up in. And then how, how do you sort of acknowledge that? Um, it's, it's tricky. And so I, part of me, I guess, was walking around knowing that a lot of the government um, gestures of reconciliation or the, the commissions and stuff, it's, it's like, okay, it's, you're apologizing in parliament. Okay. Does, does it mean everyone has water yet? Does it mean, <laughs> does it mean like their lives are better? No. So, but it's like, we're so used to, um, maybe just being cynical. We're so used to being cynical that uh, it felt sort of good to me to hear somebody say, no, reconciliation's dead. And then a guy today, I had his name, Jesse Wente, Wente? He was interviewed on CBC and he said, never existed in the first place, this reconciliation. Yeah. Do you feel uh -huh. that way? <laughs> um, I think my point of view about reconciliation is, uh, Who's got to do the reconciling here? It isn't us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for it to happen, it, it, for it to happen, we all have a lot of work to do, and we are we're, we're all here to stay, you know. So we have to figure that out, you know. Um, mm -hmm. um, we've got on the, on the Indian side, we've got to be included in the economy in ways, and and we've got to have a voice at the table to, you know, protect the water and protect the environment and. There's a reason why that why we want to do that, you know, and it's because of all of the marginalized people who depend on animals for their um, food, the fish for their food, so they have to protect the water to ensure they have enough food for the winter time, you know, and mm -hmm. this it's still it's really happening on the ground, you know how how poor um, many of us are. Yeah, when we look in our wallets, we're poor, but when we look um, um, at our land and our territory, and we own it all. There's no question in my mind that we own all of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we look at that, look at it that way, we're very rich. Mm -hmm. And the government is totally after um, um, extracting it as uh, many of the resources as as quickly as they can, as cheaply as they can. Yeah. And and like with the pipeline. Um, those guys want to put it in as quickly as they can and get out of there because there's pushback on it. Are they going to do a proper job doing it? You know, or is it just going to be a rush job? And exactly. then the threats come from there. So, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Do you deep down in your gut? Do you feel that these pipelines will succeed, or do you think it'll be something we're that we're just fighting for a very long time? Well, it depends who, who um, you're asking the question to. For the big oil companies and big business, it will succeed. For the Indians who own the land, it, it won't succeed because they won't see the benefits. And even if they do, the upper echelon of leadership will be in control of those funds and mm -hmm. um, th they'll be the ones that really benefit. And, the, the the poorest and the most marginalized people will never see benefit from um, a pipeline. Yeah. 
So maybe we could get in a little deeper into like what's going on within the Wet'suwet'en territory itself. Cause I, um, I, I had to research this a little cause it wasn't clear to me. The news presents it as if, um, you know, there's hereditary chiefs, but they presented like, but there's her, hereditary chiefs who have signed on to the pipeline and they make it look like it's sort of more 50 50 than it, I think maybe it actually is. Am I right? There's band councils within the territory that, but the hereditary chiefs, don't they sort of supersede that? In terms of who would have influence or say? Or Yeah, it's really interesting how the Department of Indian Affairs, they will recognize the um, um, elected leadership. Mm -hmm. and they'll recognize their voice. Um, the Department of Indian Affairs will. But really, their voice only goes as far as the reserve boundaries. Yes, they do have traditional territories in which they, they have a say, provided um, they're able to attain um, deep consultation. And uh, that's laid, as, as laid out in, in the uh, Delgamo court case. Um, um, there's, there's a matrix there. Mm. And uh, and within the matrix, that determines whether deep consultation kicks in or or the consultation checkbox has been achieved, and um, it gets really complex. So for the heredit the hereditary chiefs historically have a voice over all of the land, right. but the way that the Wet'suwet'en uh, the Wet'suwet'en have um, organized themselves, and uh, there are uh, clans. Now, I'm not sure of who is who, and but you know, I, imag I imagine there would be a frog clan, and a bear clan, and right. a wolf clan, and and that type of thing. And they they would only uh, in the hereditary system, and they would only have a voice in those areas. And I've I've seen the maps yeah. of of those areas, um, beautifully done, and they're all in their language and everything. Uh, so it shows that they've been um, uh, using that for generations, but um, a, a wolf clan or say or a frog clan would never comment on the bear clan. They they stay out of those kind of that kind of dialogue. So it's it just even makes um, coming to a table a, a lot harder because somebody from the the frog clan has no voice in. In, in the bear clan or, or vice versa like that. Right. The deep consultation you're talking about, is that where all the clans would come together or that's between who and who, a deep consultation? Yeah, not even there. It, that oh. seems to be uh, more um, within the confines of the elected chiefs um, because the, the, is a fiduciary, so there's a legal obligation for consultation um, with the elected chiefs under, under the ruling. So, it just makes it more and more complex. And sign away. Do everything you want. It's just a piece of paper. Ain't nobody going to follow that tooth and nail, you know. Even like with the permitting, you know, that's, what's, that's another issue that they're really worried about. Yeah, they have the permit. But are they going to remain in compliance with the permit, especially around protecting the ecology and whatnot? No, they're going to do it and extract it as quickly as they can and as cheaply as they can so they can make more profit that's what it's about yeah yeah 
It's just, um, hmm. I'm not sure quite what to ask, but it's sort of, I guess my feeling is, um, who who's really in a position to hold them accountable so they don't do it that way? Is it does it need to come down from federal before they'll corporate uh, corporation take it seriously and slow down and listen? I, I think I think what we see unfolding here, uh, um, you know, I've said it before, and Indians are the fiercest on the planet. Mm -hmm. We fight the queen. We fight the federal government. Mm -hmm. We fight the province. Yeah. We fight the municipalities. We fight the third parties. And if we're not busy fighting those guys, we're fighting each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what's going on right now, you know. Okay. And the government is just sitting back and waiting for um, us to... Um, to um, uh, breed, breed ourselves into oblivion. Gotcha. You know? Okay. Wow. So is there a conflict then between, let's say, some of the band council chiefs in the territory and the hereditary chiefs? Like the ones who have said sure, or they've taken a payout from the... Mm -hmm. I mean, how does how does that stuff tend to play out? Or do they... Yeah. Really interesting question. Um, uh, and I, I think I'll answer it like this. There probably is. It's internal. The government won't, the, the federal or provincial government won't take a, take a stand on, on the disputes. They'll let the tribes themselves resolve those issues. Okay. And, um, um, again, that, that could take years and years and years, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that I've always liked doing, and I learned this because I wanted to fight for it all myself when I, I was in leadership, um, is that um, for sure, be as tough as you want on the issue, but by God, be be nice to people, be nice to a human being, you know. So yeah. so yeah, just to separate issues like that. Yeah. Well, it has been reassuring to hear some of the brief coverage where the, you know, Trudeau has at least seemed to say you have to have consultation and it has to be calm. You can, and I don't know, we sure wouldn't have heard that if Sheer had got in or if Harper was still here. So I don't know if you want to weigh in on that, whether on what scale do you feel do you feel any kind of trust in Trudeau? Is he any different? Is he a little different or not at all? <laughs> in how he's handling it this time. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've heard it all before. You know, it doesn't matter who's in. They all work for the same corporations. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I know. I guess I'm just trying to figure out whether, whether he um, – We'll try to make this a little more peaceful than at the end of a gun, than other other leaders would, you know. Yeah, in my mind, he's not doing a very good job, and you know, he's lost trust, yeah. and uh, that's that's one of the things. You know, it's a formula that I've used for many many years. Um, it's trust, 
equals performance over time. So once you lose that trust, it's going to take generations for it to be restored again. Yes. Look what, look what his dad did, you know, to us in 1969 with the laying out of the white paper policy and you know, just trying to extinguish who we are and, and uh, how special we are on this land. And and um, we do have special rights and we do have, you know, um, um, things that we can do like hunting and in Canada get too soon for that back in the day yeah well I can't help but think you know there's there's a parallel in a way to the me too movement because if I if I'm you know broad strokes sort of pattern here that I sort of feel is you know when people who are not being taken seriously no matter how nice they've said it, no matter how many courts they've tried to go to and they're not believed, right? Mm -hmm. um, when they're dismissed on superficial grounds and then for whatever reason, somebody uh, does this little me too and whew, opens the door and people are willing to have conversations and now people can talk and now people are being held account. And I feel like Obviously, it's it's different in many ways too, but there's still something parallel about like this process of rising up. We've tried we've tried everything here, you know. Um, now you, what do we got to do for you to take us seriously, you know? And then to be, uh, it's the whole thing where like in in standing up for yourself, you can become revictimized. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, Sorry, that's <laughs> like. <laughs> uh -huh. hmm. Um, with something like that, you know, um, I, I'm glad that the, the movement happened and, and it's still occurring today and it's raising that awareness about, about those families that are you losing family members on the highway of tears here. Oh my God. And yes. The highway of tears that travels right through the Kitsanwetsuotan territory on highway 16, uh, for, for decades now, yeah. um, um, people have been going missing yeah. and uh, um, I, I think there there are still people going missing but if, if there are it's moved to a different area um, mm. I know that some went missing down in Kelowna which is quite a ways further south than, than uh, the highway 16 mm -hmm. uh, the trail of tears so it's still happening and it, and now that the Me Too movement has come. We find out it's happening all across Canada. Yeah, uh, pretty uh, a lot of it happening in um, Alberta. Yeah, you know, and again, you know, the one of the ideas is that the man camps, you know, in those uh, big oil companies, you know, a lot of it's happening there and um, oh. disappearances in those areas and whatnot. So. Oh, I didn't know that part of it. Mm -hmm. They, they put up they put up these man camps so there's some um, you know they move in a bunch of trailers of people to go live in so they can stay on site and work and right you know, they literally become mini cities and, and mini they're supplying their needs by kidnapping many, yeah many cities have men 
Wow. So, I didn't yeah. know that. And how much, how many of like, is this, how many of these exist? How big are they? The, these man cities? Oh yeah. They're huge. Uh, 10,000 people. God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. And they move in and they do the extraction and, you know, well-paying jobs, you know, and everything. And, um, yep. from what I, from what I understand, um, as well, you know, drugs are rampant there and yeah. it just escalates from there and it just compiles from there and from so bad you, to worse. Do you think the, the highway of tears and, and what's going on is, is, do you think it's trafficking? Um, I think there could be isolated incidents of that happening, but um, what I also think it, it may be just a few people doing it yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean that always blows my mind too there's many things that the government could do to survey this surveil this or do something and nothing's ever done they just have that's, one more gratuitous ceremony or meeting somewhere about it and yeah. that's the link between uh you know what's going on in the wet'suwet'en territory with um, them opposing the pipeline they're not against oil they're against the potential of environmental threat to their traditional lands and territories. They're they're more interested in protecting their water, yeah. you know, um, yeah. to avoid boil water advisories. And I wouldn't doubt if many of those communities do have those boil water advisories as well. Yeah. And they're interested in raising the profile on the amount of murdered and missing women along that uh highway 16 as well because there's there, there uh with a pipeline there could be more uh man camps established in and around uh, even it doesn't even have to be close by the area you know the yeah the, the sweep of a, of a man camp is could be huge you know they have yeah, the ability to buy um a big four-wheel drive trucks that go really fast and they can cover a lot of ground and yeah. you know it's just i don't know it's it's just real complex yeah it sounds like it because on the other side of it it's it's sort of um you know hard to say what what are women and girls out there supposed to do to protect themselves more or can they mm -hmm. you know it's exactly the classic uh, deep imbalance in our society. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, when women are been, not safe. <laughs> where, it's been going on for, for since the beginning, yeah. since the beginning of time, you know. Yeah. It just so happened that um, um, God um, was a man. And so God... Uh, created everything and therefore he owns it and um, uh, he can do with it whatever he chooses and that includes mother earth yeah and uh, um, man's um, association with uh, Mel uh, mother earth has been um, um, a very destructive relationship between our mother yeah. earth and, and what, what man has done to it. 
Yeah, I, I sort of feel that some of this goes back to Renaissance Europe. You know, when you start to get uh, a bit of the individual, you know, or secularism, or somehow man is above animals, you know. Mm -hmm. Animals are objects to serve us. And it's just like centuries later, it gets to this where we're running out, where there's just enough destruction. Mm-hmm. For a long time, it's like, it just take, 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 and, and everything's an object. And there's just some fundamental sick thinking going on with that. Uh, that I think, yeah, you agree? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. Centuries old. <laughs> and it's really hard to know how to help people heal that broken relationship with with nature unless their needs are completely deprived so there's a side of me that always has empathy for everyone like the guy who can't get to work or his business will shut down because the trains are not running you know i I feel for anybody who's scared for Uh their livelihood or scared they won't have enough food coming into their town or what i get it but on the bigger picture i feel like and i was telling my mom even maybe it's everything's for a reason too mom maybe that's Maybe people start to think about getting things locally. Maybe it'll force people to think about cleaner energy. Mm. If you don't have everything you need, just gobble, gobble. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Yep. Yeah, but it's like a scary wake-up call. Like I think if people do wake up to that, there, there would be like, like a wave of panic in a lot of people who haven't learned to have that relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you think... Yeah, I'm branded, you know, I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm branded, you know, I, I because I like those kind of comforts, right, in my life. Sure. I work hard for that and whatnot. And, yeah. Um, here, in, here in BC, uh, um, I haven't been disrupted by any of the uh, roadblocks or the, or the okay. um, ferry blockages and everything and oh they blocked the ferry okay didn't yeah they it. did yeah yep. between vancouver island and um well that's huge i remember how big that ferry is yeah wow yeah well i think over here in uh, in in ontario um it seems to be the in belleville where they're they've got the strongest alliance with I think the hereditary chiefs even came out there yeah. last week. And mm-hmm. I mean, you block, you block Belleville, you block the whole corridor between, you know, all the shipments from China and Montreal going to Toronto, Windsor, whatever. Like it's, and I'm just thinking, oh my Lord, like, if this continues all summer, there's going to be truckers finding alternate routes and people screaming about that. And uh, it's going to be messy. Yeah. But it's going to be a long, hot need. summer. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe it's a lesson that, that, we, that we need, you know, like sometimes a lot of people, they can't have empathy until they're in those, the other person's shoes. So, oh, you don't have your supplies quickly, eh? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it comes down to, the, to our title and rights, you know, that it has to be addressed. It has to become legally defined so we both, or however many sides there are to this um yeah um, so what would that what would that look like like from the outset like what do you 
-hmm. you know, would it be a matter of granting each territory more rights or a place at the table officially? Mm -hmm. uh, would it be an expansion of land all from what's there? Or do you know what I mean? What do you think it would actually look like? Um, the chiefs in 1910, um, and their words are, they still prevail today and they still mean the same, you know. I encourage you to go look at the Sewer Warfare Laurier Memorial. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so so they did say that, you know, they're willing to share half. And, and, and you asked me before that, you know, what do I think? And I can't move. I can't. I, I, they worked hard for that. And they fought hard for that. And, and that position hasn't changed in British Columbia since 1910. Mm -hmm. So imagine what that would take for My us Lord. to get half. It ain't happening. But, but I'm not yeah. giving up on it. I'm still fighting for it. And that yes. type of thing. But that's where I'm, you know, I just, ever since Concordia days, I've thought so much about change. You know, that's all we talked about was how does change happen? And, and um, I guess over my years, I've come to feel that there's, you know, there's the ideal and there's the goal and you don't give up on the goal, but you have to start to be happy with the little steps that mean something, you know, and I'm just wondering, like, what would be a step that would mean something even if it's not here's your half yet you know mm -hmm. what do you what do you think would be something we could see in our lifetimes that would be a meaningful step like like the me too movement and that type of thing you know and finally this day and age of reconciliation um, leadership are acknowledging the traditional territories they are on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that does, it has far reaching implications there too of, um, of um, the commitment that the Indians have shown to, to not let it slide. You know, we, we have to fight for this. These are our lands and they were a gift from, a direct gift from creators. We have to, we have to, um, we have to keep them and we can't surrender them and, we have to take measures and steps to ensure that um, we haven't ceded any of our territory and, and those type of things. It's mm -hmm. um, not yeah, easy. I read something somewhere that it's pretty much mainly in BC, right? That there, there's the most unceded lands. Yeah. Compared to, so maybe you can explain that a little bit, how, how it's different in BC than other provinces for All right. other areas. So in um, 1763, um, uh, King George made a statement in which he stated that um, all crown land shall be held in trust for the Indian people. Right. And that became the royal proclamation. So King George made a proclamation that all crown land is to be held in trust for the Indian people. Yes. But old King George, he, he didn't know how much land existed beyond Manitoba. Ah. Since that time, Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta have all negotiated treaties. But in British Columbia, we haven't. There, now there have been a few treaties signed, but um, um, the majority of uh, the Indian tribes in British Columbia have not 
agreed to and, and signed uh, a treaty away. So we haven't modified the title that King George was talking about. Ah, okay, so okay. That's why yeah. we still claim that we own all of it. And gotcha. um, okay. so then in 1982, um, uh, the Constitution of Canada enshrined Section 35, that title exists and cannot be extinguished. And then with the court ruling in Delgamuk in 97, Haida in 2004, the mm -hmm. Taku River Tinglet in 2004, and then the 2005 uh, ruling in uh, Chokutin. You know, we're, we're winning these court cases right and left, and um, we are proving that title exists and cannot be extinguished. And, and things, the government and third parties have to take um, measures in order to let us know uh, what they're doing to our land in order for us to make determination uh, how our title will be impacted. And we have to work hard and try to uh, negotiate um, a fair and just settlement. We have to make sure that we do not, and that's what's going on, uh, the same with the Wet'suwet'en, um, the way that the people of the Wet'suwet'en feel, whether they're leadership, whether they're elected councils, uh, many people, many of the people do not feel that the um, that the infringement of their title has been justified. Mm -hmm. And that, that's why the fight is taking place. And that's why it's so easy to win uh, support like has been shown all across Canada because people will really understand that, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's already been quite a bit of, uh, of support and protest here, I know, in Montreal right away. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I know one lady because she lives in our, I think she's lived in our village or she's done work here with, uh, and uh, you know, there's people running around my area looking for bales of straw and cords of wood and supplies mm -hmm. and people are out there driving. Like, it's amazing how, how fast all of this is organized as a collective because um, as we know, you know, community organizing is not so easy and all of a sudden, and I think there's just something so powerful about about that coming together, um, that spirit of coming together in this quickly. It's people want to be part of something that feels real like that. And I hope that you know there's been a tipping point with environmental issues as part of our daily psyche that we didn't have 20 years ago, as well. You know, we're more aware of our general use of plastics for one thing they were starting to ban that um you know we have the greta thunberg um her speech there was um so i don't know it feels like a tide is turning but you know it's always it's always feels too slow doesn't it like <laughs> too little too late yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but um yeah, I'm just trying to think what else I could wanted to ask you about. Um, well, yeah, one friend of mine who also does community work, I told her I was interviewing you. She was excited, and and I said, well, what would you want to ask if you could? And she said, well, I'd like to ask him how how the average person can help. You know, not every like there's multiple levels of engagement people are willing. Yeah. Right, like not all of us are going to chop wood or go out to the front line. So, 
barring that kind of, you know, being on the front line, what would you say the average household person could do who's a supporter to, to keep supporting this movement? Mm -hmm. You know, I think my answer is the classic answer. Okay. Get a hold of your leadership, you know, your MLAs and let them know that you're not happy with the way things are unfolding, you know, they're, um, luckily there there hasn't been an armed standoff that's yes. happened yet. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, it hasn't escalated to that, and that's a good thing. Yes, you know, it's uh, it's a, maybe that's why it's success because it's peaceful, and uh, I really hope it does stay that way. Um, but here, um, you know, um, on the other side of the table, they have um, armed policemen, and now. Uh, at the flick of a wrist, they'll have the military become involved, and yeah. and um, that's how quickly it can escalate. And yeah. they're the sides with the guns and the weapons, you know, and, and whatnot. It's not the Indians. We're just trying to protect the water. Yeah. Have you heard stories yet about Facebook shutting people down who are trying to uh, post things or organize themselves on Facebook? Because I know um, people who do different things and they, they just get barred and silenced all of a sudden. Things get uh, taken uh, down. Mm -hmm. um, um, if it's happening, I haven't seen it. I, I haven't experienced it myself. Okay, okay. Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah, I was just, you know, um, when you realize that there's just going to be like a migrating, there's always, there's, there's somebody somewhere on a train track or a road all over Canada mm -hmm. and it'll just, if they want to stay peaceful, it's like, okay, you're shutting us down. Whoops. Now they're, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this could be like, this could be really frustrating for the government or for them to organize against. Yeah, the military like, in Canada isn't, <laughs> the military in Canada isn't big enough to take on uh, something like that. Yeah, whether it's organized or not. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't know of it. I, I wouldn't call it organized. I would just call it um, ad hoc, okay. how okay. it's happening. And um, maybe I'm out of the loop. Maybe it is organized. I, I don't, but I don't think so. Yeah. No. Well, that's probably why the it's gaining strength because it's it's coming from another place than that than mm -hmm. just pure thought strategy, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's anyway. For me, this gets back to what we were saying before we even started the interview, you know, talking about the, the workshop with, um, what was Brian's last name again? It's the Social Justice Committee, wasn't it in Ottawa? Who did the Taoist workshop? Yes. Uh -huh. Brian's last name? Anyway. Anyway, you know, reading, reading the Tao and just discussing, like, the differences between masculine and feminine energy in general, not that you have to be all male or all woman, you know, to have, like, those are just forces in the universe. And I find like, you know, whether it's me too, or whether it's first nations, the way that everybody's just sort of somehow things happen, you know, and that's to me a more um, feminine principle, feminine energy. Like it's sort of an intuitive, you know, way that things just sort of come about or like there's a peace with things being chaotic but somehow it happens 
you know, that, that the other side is really not comfortable with. Just another theory of mine. I don't know what you think. I, yeah, yeah, I, I think I understand and, and um, how, things, how things happen. Uh, there, there's so much going on, especially like um, I talked about it today and it's the social media thing and, and you know, how, how quickly a, a bad tourism experience can explode in social media and, and whatnot. And um, um, I, I, I told the story that I, I had a hell ride from the Campbell River Airport to, um, to my motel room here in Campbell River. Oh. And, and so, you know, the first thing I did was went on social media and I have about 2,600 friends. Yep. And I told them, man, hang on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was so bumpy about the ride? Oh, just uh, the car was dirty and, you oh, know, I'm a tourism yeah. guy, so, you know, I, yeah. I, have, I have expectations and the car was dirty. The, 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 the lady was really rude. She was, you know, dropping a language that I didn't care to hear. You know, oh. I just came from oh, a long day of travel myself and, and I was tired and I was stressed and, yeah. and fearful too, because I didn't know where, you know, I didn't know where I was, I was going. And, yeah. and then she asked me where I was going and I said, I don't know, but I'll check my email. So I was scrolling in the back of the vehicle, scrolling through my emails mm -hmm. to find the address. And I, I couldn't get it fast enough for her you know she became really impatient and it just oh escalated. man yeah. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah do you find um they're worried at the tourism uh board about what's going on are they worried it's going to adversely impact tourism with with um you know with the roadblocks the train blockages mm -hmm. tourism must be freaking out if they blocked a whole ferry um, i think I think they're really careful about taking a position on anything like that, you know? Yeah. Um, um, some of the things that we do in, in, in the tourism, especially um, the work that we do um, with Aboriginal tourism, finally, we got our foot in the door, you know, and are mm -hmm. seeing benefit in the community. Um, I work for one group and there are 39 First Nations communities in that corridor. And, mm -hmm. you know, in a sense, in a gentle way, uh, we kind of have uh, buy-in from all of those groups, you know, in the work that we're doing to support them, to advocate for them and whatnot. So I think um, to take a position, ooh, ooh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think yeah. they would. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's diplomatic of them not to do, not to take a position then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here, you probably heard our silly premier today uh, dropping some sort of opinion that there could be AK-47s over at Oka or over. <laughs> and so people are extremely offended that he's just casually saying that they have these level of assault weapons. Yeah. I mean, I'm used to that here in Quebec. Everyone just, we're sort of used to like, everyone's careful, careful, and then you know, someone like Parizeau or Marois, mm -hmm. they, all, they all just end up doing that eventually. They just say mm -hmm. something so toxic. Um, so anyway, <laughs> it sounds like it's yeah. a little more careful out where you are. I don't know. If, if there are um, AK-47s in your area, um, unlike the RCMP and the military, um, 
those AK-47s that may be there that you're talking about, our fingers aren't on the trigger like the military and the RCMP. They have their fingers on the trigger and their weapons are pointed directly at us. And yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, even mentioning something like that still puts people ready and on edge and feeling they have a right to be more violent. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, comments like that, just so ignorant that escalate things mm -hmm. for no reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Is there, is there anything um, you'd like to share that, to wrap things up? Like... Yeah, um, remember now, social media, so don't believe everything. Don't take everything that you read about on social media as fact, you know. Look at the source and look who said it and make sure that, you know, who said it before you even take a position on things. And and don't worry too much, you know. It'll it'll get over. We'll, we'll overcome all of this stuff because we are Canada. You know, we are the Shushwap and we are the Wet'suwet'en and we are the you know, the Stetlium and the, and mm -hmm. the Tanaka, you know, we all support what they're doing out there, I think, in a way, and we all want it to be, uh, to end peacefully and in a good way, too. Yeah. Well, let's pray that it does and that it's enough to wake everybody up, but that it stays peaceful. Yeah, that's right. I agree. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. It was really great to talk to you after so much time and you're all, you always just bring this wisdom feeling to the depth and wisdom to the table. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. Gonna build a pipeline in your yard Doesn't matter to me if your life is hard Cause I got mouths to feed, bills to pay Don't wanna make my money any other way Whoa Hey, hey, ho, ho Went to wait, don't wanna go Hey, hey, ho, ho Who in the stock don't wanna go RCMP's gonna clear you off of your lands for me That's right Just for me For thousands of years you've been here I don't care You've been growing around this land Here and there You don't build castles You don't build schools Your totem poles are just for fools Whoa, 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 
away and don't wanna go. Hey, hey, oh, ho. Laguna Stock and don't wanna go. The RCMB's gonna clear you off of your land from me. Mm hmm. Just for me. Strong, wet's weight strong. 
Wets away strong. Wets away strong. Sing along. Wets away strong. Wets away strong. Wets away strong. Wets away strong. Ho ho. Hey hey. Wets away. They're gonna stay. Ho ho. Hey hey. Stop, they're gonna stay. The RCMP's gotta get off all of their lands. They're free. Mm-hmm. Unceded territory. That's right. Unceded territory. One more time. Unceded territory.
redneck man that I'll always be. Welcome back to the River Rain Show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mike Retasket as much as I did. I find I always learn a lot from him, and even just even just by talking about it with him, somehow on some level things become clearer or calmer. And uh, I really hope you got something out of it. For me, what struck me the most, and what we're going to talk about in the second part of the show is the ways that this pipeline directly impacts the highway of tears even if it's not exactly the same spot on the highway as he mentioned um but that these oil uh related man cities that he mentioned that are along the lines where they're building pipelines or where there's mining where you need a lot of workers to be there um, after an intense period of time doing, I'm sure, very hard work and being, um, you know, being maybe uh, a little pent up (laughs) Um, and a little bit, uh, well, yeah, pent up is just probably the best way to say it. So the unfortunate side, though, is, you know, he didn't say it directly and I can't really say it directly because we don't, we don't, uh, I don't know. We didn't say it directly, but it seems pretty clear that a lot of the women and girls that are, that are going missing are to sort of service these man cities. So that for me was very upsetting and eye-opening at the same time. And it sort of, makes it seem all the more complicit. Um, so I wanted to read you an article that, I've, that I saw about the man camps that loom over BC's Highway of Tears. This is from the National Observer, and this was written actually in 2017. So that makes me feel silly that I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this until now. But it doesn't matter at what point we become aware, right? As long as we do, and as long as we do something about it. So in the, I'm not going to say this, pronounce, pronounce this probably, Nak, Nakazli Wuten First Nation is nestled in the banks of Stewart Lake in north central British Columbia, surrounded by rolling foothills and tall trees. It's a relatively remote community 
breathtaking in scenery and dependent on economic opportunities in forestry, mining, and pipeline development. And it's a community bracing for major change. Over the next decade, as many as 6,000 new energy workers, industry workers, could descend upon the region. The prospect of such big influx of workers living nearby in man camps has aroused fear of increased violence and drug use. The influx could be more than double the population of about 4,500 in the Fort St. James area, which includes the municipality, rural communities, and First Nations. Nakatsili, Nakatsili? I hope I'm saying it right. N-A-K apostrophe A-Z-Z-D-L-I. Um, Nakatsili has just 1,972 members living both on and off reserve in the nearest city, Prince George, is 160 kilometers away. To get ahead of the documented challenges that accompany an influx of temporary workers from outside the region, they and Lake Babin First Nation are creating two full-time positions funded by the government to help them prepare. Their band council, counselor, Anne-Marie Sam, says, if several industrial project proposals go ahead as planned over the next decade, as many as six new work camps, housing up to a thousand workers each, could be built within 60 to 100 kilometers of the community. Among the proposed projects are TransCanada's um, Coastal Gas Link Pipeline, the North Mont Montney Pipe Mainline Pipeline, and the Prince Rupert Gas Transmission Pipeline. The company is reviewing the Prince Rupert project, however, because Pacific Northwest LNG announced that in July it would not proceed with a proposed liquefied natural gas export terminal near Port Edward, BC, due to economic uncertainty. The Nakadsley Band had also expressed opposition to Enbridge's proposed Northern Gateway Pipeline which would have run through its territory had it not been rejected by the federal government last year. The danger of bringing in quote-unquote man camps. The man camps are precisely what their name implies, work camps housing mostly male employees working on resource development projects. There were more than four men for every woman working in the forestry, fishing, mining, quarrying, and oil and gas industries in Canada in 2016, according to StatsCan. The federal Liberal government is now reviewing Canada's conservation laws and is expected to tackle this issue. In June, it recommended changes to environmental assessments to require a gender-based analysis of an industrial project's impact. When the Prince Rupert gas transmission project was under review, Community members expressed concern about two camps slated for construction in the traditional territory of nearby Lake Babin First Nation. The Lake Babin and Nakatsli nations found common cause as traditional territory hosts mining and forestry camps already. The two nations commissioned a joint report funded by BC's Department of Aboriginal 
Relations and Reconciliation with research by the consulting company Firelight Group. And stat- statistics from the study released in February 17 indicate that the industrial camps are associated with increased re- threats of sexual assault and violence against Indigenous women, along with addiction, STDs, and family violence. The potential for sexual assault, violence, disappearances, STDs, increases with the number of trucks on the road, said author Ginger Gibson, uh, told the National Observer. There's a whole whack of issues that don't get considered until construction is happening and it's too late. The final report recommends governments and agencies consider legislation programs and services to address problems associated with these industrial camps and plan for integrated service delivery in advance of resource development projects. It also states a need for governments to allocate new finances and human resources to health, social services, and housing in the region. Specific recommendations from provision of addiction counseling to building recreational facilities are designed to prevent problems and address them when they occur. Um, in an email to uh, a spokesperson for TransCanada, wrote that the company regularly engages with Indigenous communities and would continue to do so throughout the life of the proposed Pacific Northwest project, although TransCanada says it attended an info session during the research phase of the industrial camp, it wouldn't provide a further comment. Right. Rigor culture, oil rigs, puts indigenous women at risk, question mark. The, the rigor culture that exists uh, where a lot of people are working together in a hyper-masculine context, and they're not really taking care of themselves. They might be drinking, doing drugs, and then they're blowing off steam. They're not in their home community, and they don't think about the local people as their family or neighbors, so they don't treat people very kindly. Following the findings of the study, uh, the Nakadsley leadership is looking at ways to prepare for the next influx of workers, and community members talk about preparing uh, welcome newcomers to their territory. Industrial rep- Industry representatives talk about working with Indigenous groups to provide local cultural competency courses to their employees. And they're also their health centers assembling rape kits to gather physical effort, evidence after assaults. Um, the counselor, Anne-Marie Sam, says, when we started plan- uh, developing rape crisis plans, the first question for me was, why do we have to tell our women we can't protect you and sexual assaults are going to happen? And when they do, we're going to have a plan for you. She said in an interview, I thought it was so unfair for our community to have to do that. Community leaders worry that nearby women and children could be a target for uh, workers who parachute into the area. And uh, Sam recalled also seeing an unfamiliar woman about town years ago when she was out walking with one of her daughters. She said, I watched her, wondering who she was. One of the delivery trucks... um, from the mine was coming through town, driving fast, saw her, slams on the brakes, 
dust on the road and stops beside her. She gets in the truck, and I don't know whose daughter that was, if she was a mother, or whose sister that was, but that really struck me. Sam said she didn't wonder if the driver solicited the young woman for sex. Who do you report that to? I didn't report it because I didn't know who she was, and I didn't know what happened to her. Among the risks identified in the Firelight Report are increased rates of STD infections, and so they're launching new testing for that as well. Um, you know, they, the workers, don't have any ownership to our town, so we really want to keep the community intact with less disturbances. If the mine's going to be here or other industries, we want them to be the best they can be for our community as well. The proximity of the the Nakazli to the infamous Highway of Tears only adds to the community's safety concerns. Since the late 60s, dozens of women and girls, most of whom are indigenous, have gone missing or disappeared along Highway 16, an east-west highway spanning northern BC that eventually leads through Edmonton and Saskatoon before meeting the Trans-Canada Highway at Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. The Highway of Tears takes on takes in smaller roads in the vicinity too, explains uh, worker Brenda Wilson. So, as we can see uh, from, from this article, and if you want to read the whole thing, it's canadasnationalobserver.com. And, um, I mean, it's just one of those, one of those issues where we hear the story and you go, oh yeah, of course. If you're, you know, if you're cynical or if you've been around the block, wherever there's large groups of men with no women around, this is going to unfortunately happen. But to make the direct correlation about how many of these camps there are and how many more of them there will be in First Nations territories if pipeline construction continues, means that this problem of missing and murdered women is just going to increase. And it doesn't have to. It really doesn't have to. So I hope that this also is an eye-opener for you, and I hope that you'll also speak about it openly when it comes up um, in a compassionate way and in an informed way. Because... Pipelines aren't just about efficiency of oil getting around for the economy. Um, there's huge repercussions for the environment, and there's huge repercussions on communities, and there's women who are dying for these pipelines. So, I'm going to play you a little bit more music, and then I have a poem for you as well. First, I want to thank Patsy Gray for this beautiful drum, Malali, and um, I'd like to share the Strong Woman song.
And we're back. This is a poem called The Highway of Tears by Gary Edward Allen. Highway of Tears. Some have not been seen or heard from in years. Last seen traveling down the highway of tears. On the hard stone cold ground where she lay. She won't be coming home. No, not today. So many native women met with foul play. In our hearts, I hope they will always stay. On the side of the roadway where wild roses grow, their final resting place they've come to know. Their silenced voices still echo through the trees. And may their precious spirits forever roam free. Their spirits call out from beneath the clear blue sky. Why did so many innocent women have to die? It's so very sad, makes me want to cry. They didn't even have a chance to say goodbye. Their loving ashes are scattered on the wind. When will this senseless violence ever end? An endless river of tears flows surely to the sea that there's still hope we've just got to believe. Gazing out at the distant star-filled sky will always ask the question why so many tears have been cried in this place all are seeking that final loving grace I throw my open arms up into the air I'm certain still many possess the heart to care should you find yourself traveling the highway of tears say a prayer for those who took their last breath here The last song is When You'll Know, and it's played on uh, Native American flute. Maybe you can send prayers or send light.
Thank you.